0: Take your Bible, if you would, and join me in Galatians chapter 2 tonight, Galatians chapter number 2. Um, how many of you ever had one of those situations when you were a kid? Now, I think we see them a little bit more closely when we're, when we're young, but they still happen today. They happen in, in our lives and could happen at any age or stage, but I think it's a little more pronounced or a little more obvious when we're kids. Did you ever have one of those situations where you had Uh, Someone that was your friend until someone else came along, and then they acted like they didn't know you. Okay, so they were, you know, like if, if forgive the bluntness of this, but, but you know, like if this happened to me, if I'm all they got, then you know we'll be friends. But if some, if I get a better option that comes along, or maybe even more pronounced or more fitting for what we're going to address tonight. If, if the cool kid comes along, you know, like you're not the cool kid, and then the cool kid comes along, and the person that is, or the group that comes along, and you really want, or that person really wants the acceptance of that group, so, so they have to, like, like you and that group don't fit together, so they have to make some pretty, you know, serious decisions about where am I going to you know find my acceptance and 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 you're not part of the group there is something about the passage that we're going to look at this evening that that does resonate with that kind of scenario in the passage in 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 Galatians chapter 2 the apostle Paul is is sharing with us some of his credentials for what he's about to say And now he's gonna get into what what some have called the Magna Carta of the Christian faith, the book of Galatians. And he contrasts the law and the new liberty that we have in Christ. So he's going through his credentials. He's kind of building a case and, and, and he has some serious, you know, he's got a serious resume. And he's talking about the fact that, listen, when I was at the church in Jerusalem, I got the stamp of approval by these three guys. And the three men that he mentions are, first of all, the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. So he mentions, um, listen, James was there. Now James, you know, first pastor, pastor of what we might refer to as this mother church in Jerusalem, half-brother of Jesus. You know, I mean, that's, that's some credibility. He's got some clout going with that kind of a title. And then you have, um, he mentions John. John is one of those guys that, that also, you know, I mean, he was there, he approves of me and my ministry, and he's really talking about his ministry that is pronounced to the Gentile world, that I am, in a sense, the apostle to the Gentiles, not that he rejected the Jews or didn't have a place or an opportunity for ministry, but listen, so, so um, you've, got, um, you've got James, Uh, John he's the beloved disciple the disciple whom Jesus loved and then he also mentions Cephas this is the apostle Peter so he he mentions those three specifically he says these three validated my apostleship my ministry my calling and then he starts going through a little bit further and he he uses as an illustration almost as if like okay the Holy Spirit said insert this story here and you can, you can almost feel some tension that begins to take place when this letter is first being read to the church at Galatia. Did he just mention, okay, do, do you know circumstances or settings? It could be a preaching setting. It could be a, a, a I don't know, a setting in your home or, or at work or in a classroom. It could be in a, a lot of different settings. But someone mentions a scenario or a situation that's rather current. And uh, uh, like, as soon as you mention, like, oh, did they just say what I think they said? And, and that's what Paul does here. Paul says, now, remember there was a time... When the Apostle Peter got caught up in this whole division between who am I going to, um, who am I going to, you know, have as my crowd, my people. Because for for quite some time, he is, um, you know, having great fellowship with the Gentile believers. And here he is in Antioch and there's no issue. He's socializing, he's worshiping, he's having meals with And then the Judaizers, a a small delegation of people come from the church at Jerusalem and they're dropping names. Hey, we're, we're friends. I mean, we're close with Pastor James. And now they put an incredible amount of pressure on the Apostle Peter to stop hanging out with the Gentiles. I mean, what are you doing? You're having meals with these uncircumcised Gentiles? This is against the law. Now, we'll cover this a little bit more thoroughly later, but this is not against the moral law. This is against the picture law, the ceremonial law. It's so important, campus church, that when we're reading scripture and we're starting to deduce principles and practices, that we do make some distinctions between what kind of laws are we talking about here. There were a whole world of picture laws, ceremonial laws. They just kept pointing us to Christ. So what does Christ null and void when he comes? Well, there's no more need for the picture laws because Christ is the reality. He is the person. There's no longer the need for the picture. But wow, this this was a challenging thing for the Jews who had grown up with these pictures. I mean, the feasts. The the Sabbaths, the offerings, the sacrifices, all the things that we're part of. And what we don't do. I mean, we don't do that. We we don't wear clothes like that. I mean, that's a mixed fabric clothing. Who who would wear a fabric, an article of clothing that's mixed fabric? We don't do that. Uh, No, we don't plow with two different animals together. No, who does that? We never do that. To eat food that is that is unclean food. And we're not talking about the fact that, oh, it fell on the floor, you know, three-second rule. We're not talking about that. We're talking about this is ceremonially unclean food. We can't have that. This is, a, this is such a radical departure from the only thing they had ever known, the pictures. So we get to this place in, in Scripture where... where the Apostle Paul calls out the Apostle Peter for what we might call as, as something of some inauthenticity. Like, you're, you're not being real here, Peter. You were fine with them so long as the delegation doesn't come from Jerusalem. But once they get here, now, now like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, to, to participate in that, no, I, I know. Well, I, I did it for a little while, but I'm not. You're not being authentic. Today, I, I think that all of us are searching for authenticity where, wherever we we look. And by that, I mean we're looking for something that's real. And Peter brought some confusion into the reality conversation when he starts to, to have this movement of this and this, and I, I reject them, and I have to do this, and I have to please this group, and, ah, and, oh, this is going to be consequential, and... He, he brought up an occasion for a conversation about authenticity. Title of the sermon tonight is just Authentic, Authentic. Your Bibles are open. Look at the situation that we're talking about. We're not going to go through the whole situation, but Galatians chapter 2, look down at verse number 11 and then into verse number 12. But when Peter was come to Antioch, this is Paul speaking, I withstood him to the face. Like, wow, we had words because he was to be, man, he doesn't mince words. He was to be blamed. For before that, certain came from James. He did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them that were of the circumcision. Okay, what this provides for right now is it provides an opportunity for the Apostle Paul to go through and and then for people like you and I today. To just say, what does authentic Christianity look like? And what kind of situations may that, might that put me in? All of us do understand sometimes the, the lack of transparency that we have personally. Who here, I'm not being silly about this, and I don't mean it to be awkward or, or f- for ongoing conversation. But who here has someone that knows everything about you other than Almighty God. Everything. I mean, that you just, you just lay everything out on the table, and it's like, hey, this is my life. I, I suspect that, that we do realize, okay, God, you are the one who knows me. You know my down-sitting, my uprising. You understand my thoughts afar off. You understand my thoughts before I ever think them. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain unto it. it is, he's saying literally in our vernacular today, it's mind-blowing. I can't fathom that. God knows us thoroughly. And he even talks about the fact that one day those hidden things are going to be revealed. But, but today, who knows everything about us? Well, we, we still live in this broken world and we have these broken desires. I don't want everybody to know everything about me. Let's ask this, is it possible for a believer today to have an authentic faith? Is it possible? And I submit that the answer is yes. So let's ask the question, what is authentic Christianity? What is authentic Christianity? Now, with this said, what we're going to look at tonight is one of those those um, thoughts in the Christian walk that does require a level of maturity, and I'm I'm acknowledging that. And I know that in any church setting, any church setting, there are always varying levels of maturity that are present, that that are ours. I mean, look at each of our own lives individually. We have gone through different stages and steps and periods of growth where our maturity levels are different. Well, in any church, there are varying levels. I'm saying that to at least acknowledge when we look at these principles they can easily be distorted if we don't handle them with a level of maturity. Have you ever found someone that can make the Bible say anything they want, but that's not really what the Bible is saying? I'm trying to at least acknowledge that if you're not careful with, with, with truths and principles in Scripture, you're going to make it say what you want it to say, but that's not really what the Bible is saying. So let's approach this with what we pray as a level of maturity and say, Lord, may I, may I comprehend these principles and even in my own life, and I'm speaking to myself personally, for me to take another step of spiritual growth and thereby providing some ongoing steps of maturity. What is authentic Christianity? Number one this evening, it's a realization that you can't please everyone. What is authentic Christianity? It is a realization that you can't please everyone. All right. So, it really is just Wednesday night. It is just us tonight. How many of you say, "Man, I wish I I like trying to please everyone. I'm I'm kind of like I lean on the scale a little bit more heavily towards people pleasing. How many of you say that's you? Raise your hand. Lots of you. How many of you say I don't really care about people or what they think? Raise your hand. You say yeah I don't care and I don't care about you. Okay so whatever you know. Sometimes there's this sense of oh no I, I want to please everybody. How many of you just say I just want everybody to be happy? Is that you? Okay. How many say I don't care if people No, they're not only going to be happy so I don't care. Okay. You guys just like raising hand, Yeah okay. <laughs> and I hope you're not happy. Okay so that kind of a deal. You know, sometimes we lean on this. I do believe that God created us with an understanding or a built-in desire for acceptance, okay? If you say, I don't don't want anybody to accept me, something's broken about you, okay? Like you have an issue, all right? So there there is some sense of built-in desire to be accepted. The ultimate acceptance, we find like, oh, wow, I want to be accepted by God, if we had no desire for that, that'd be a tragic thing. So God's built in us some, some understanding of, of acceptability. The problem comes with, with when we take what God has built into us and take any of those to extremes, right? And anything that God's given us that can be blessed and used and wonderful, we can take to an extreme and then it goes beyond what God intended for it to be. Acceptance is one of those things. What does authentic Christianity look like? It's at least an acknowledgement. I cannot please everyone here. I am gonna to have to choose wisely the right one to please. That's not always easy to do. It, it, was, it was obviously placing the apostle Peter in a really difficult spot. So he's with the Gentiles. He's having great fellowship with them. Um, he'd spent some time there and by the way, We'll touch on that in a minute, but man, the Apostle Peter was the one that God really used to open the door to the Gentile world, to Christianity. And the church there is exploding. The church at Antioch is just like, wow, things are happening there. This is exciting. There's a lot of stuff that's going on. And, and I think the church at Jerusalem, the mother church, they're getting a little nervous about what's going on over there in Antioch. I mean, if you read throughout Acts, where were people first called Christians, little Christ's, Antioch? Like, oh, wow, hey, all those little Christs over there. I know it's used as a term of derision, but they actually adopt it as a a term of endearment. Like, wow, they're calling us the little Christ. How wonderful is that? That they're looking at our lives and seeing Jesus Christ in us. I mean, this is the church at Antioch and and the Apostle Peter's there. The, the, The gospel came to them. We'll touch on that in a minute. Now the the Judaizers come. They show up. The Judaizers. They are demanding that if you're going to come to, to Christ and be a follower of Jesus, you have to do so by yes, following Jesus, but you have to add the laws. You're gonna have to follow the ceremonial laws. And if you don't, then then don't even think about you know being part of our church because you're gonna to have to follow this. So, ooh, wow, this is, there's a lot of pressure. This is the old guard, the church at Jerusalem, and this is Antioch, the Gentile believers. How do, I, how do I get to authentic Christianity? Part of it is a realization you can't please everyone. Jesus built these principles, he expounded, he taught on them, he said things like, no man can serve two masters, Matthew six twenty four. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, else he will hold to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. He says, listen, you're not gonna be able to choose everything all the time. He said it very directly in no uncertain terms. In James chapter four, verse number four, listen how, again, who is this? We're talking about James. What does he say? Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you know what he's doing again? He's saying, You can't be friends with everyone. And in in no uncertain terms, he says, Listen, you can't embrace the lifestyle. There's a good, you know, current word. You can't embrace the lifestyle of the world, the choices of the world, and say, No, 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 but God and I were all good. One of the things about transparent, authentic Christianity is you cannot always please everyone all the time don't use that as some you know badge of honor that you know I really yeah they're they're really ticked at me right now because I just set them off I just let them know what that's an inappropriate immature use of this principle but for us to understand listen to be an authentic follower of Jesus, I'm not going to be able to please everyone all the time. What does authentic Christianity look like? Well, you can't please everyone every, uh, uh, you can't, a realization you can't please everyone. Number two, it's not blaming your present on your past. Now, I hope, again, some maturity we have to use and think through this, but wow, is this important? And it's probably important for a group that we'll try to identify right now. How many of you, how many of you, all things being equal, you, you essentially grew up in a Christian home? I know that means a lot of things, but how many of you grew up in a Christian home? Raise your hand. Okay, now just, I mean, if you're looking around, that is the strong majority. How many of you say, all things being equal, I didn't grow up in a Christian home? Raise your hand. Okay, that's the clear minority. Um, how many of you um, have moms that make really great cinnamon rolls? Really great cinnamon rolls. Wow. How many of your moms like, oh, no, don't try my mom's? Okay. Wow, <laughs> oh, there's a couple people. Get them on camera, would you? So <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So, um, really great cinnamon rolls. Um, have you ever had, my mom makes really great cinnamon rolls. Okay, really great. And so mom makes the best cinnamon rolls. How many of you would, that your moms make really good cinnamon rolls. How many of you would at least be willing to acknowledge, because it's the truth, that my mom's cinnamon rolls are better than your mom's? Yes? Wow, a couple people raised their hand. See, you're in the, your mom makes bad cinnamon rolls camp. But I mean, your mom makes really great cinnamon rolls. How many of you would beg to differ with me about the supremacy of my mom's cinnamon rolls? How many of you would beg to... Oh, there we go. Some people standing up for their moms. Okay, you're woefully wrong, but at least you're willing to stand up for your mom. Okay, why is it that my mom's cinnamon rolls are better than your mom's cinnamon rolls? Well, first of all, because they are, okay? (laughs) Secondly, because they're the ones that I grew up eating, okay? So they're the ones that I grew up with. And that's that's the way that I think everybody should make cinnamon rolls. Because, I mean, that's what, that's what everybody, isn't everybody supposed to, do you ever remember going to like a friend's house when you were a kid and their mom made something, whatever, differently than your mom? And you looked at it with some measure of you're appalled. Why in the world? You need lessons, lady. You know, that kind of a thing because it's different from your mom. Okay, the point of the whole, you know, cinnamon rolls saga is this, that, that oftentimes we, we base a lot of our practice solely on our past, not on the unchanging principles of the word of God. So that's how, that's how my church did it. That's what I've always done. That's what I was taught that you're supposed to do when you. Now please know there are things that are non-negotiable. I've said this repeatedly. I don't know. I may say it again. But this, th- there is a necessary level of maturity to process this. But like okay so whoo to distinguish between those things that are just historic in my life, those things that do actually at times change and those things that are true for all people, all places and all times. Those are important distinctions. Do you remember, uh, we, we've referenced this, but the Apostle Peter, he's an, what we would call an Orthodox Jew. He grew up understanding, I am an Hebrew. Listen, I'm, I'm, this, I'm this pilgrim. I'm a Jew. And there are things that as a nation identify us uniquely from all the rest of the world. And so he starts to embrace. I mean, he has, he's bought in. Now, he's a follower of Jesus Christ, but his history starts to come in. Again, you know, we, we don't have time to go through all of this, but Acts chapter 10 Um, we'll put a couple passages up. Um, Acts chapter 10, if you look, if you considered verse number one, before we read the the verses following, there's a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, one that feared God with all his house. Okay, Cornelius loves God, but Cornelius has not yet been introduced to Jesus Christ. Okay, look at the next verse that, that we have on the screen. And now send men to Joppa. This is a messenger from God, a vision that Cornelius has. And now send men to Joppa. Call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Whoa, great. Let's, let's go get Simon. Hey, go, go. And he sends people immediately. Go tell him. A, a, a messenger from God told me we're supposed to come get you. Okay, so, so the apostle Peter... He's there in Joppa and he goes up onto this rooftop. It's it's time for his prayers, but have you ever tried to pray when you're hungry? Okay. And like, he's hungry, he goes up, but man, he's famished. If he would have had something to eat, he would have. And here's what God does with his circumstances and with God's plan. He marries the two together. So, So the apostle Peter, he's up on the rooftop, he's praying. And what is it that happens? Look at verse number 11, Acts chapter 10 and saw the heavens opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. He says, are you kidding me? Okay, he's hungry. He wants to eat. This, this banquet sheet comes down. Like this big picnic, you know, it comes down. And, and all manner of, of available foods. And, and God says, Peter, arise. I want you to slay, kill, and eat. Take nourishment. And Peter's like, ooh, there's, there's unclean things on that. Not once have those things crossed the lips of this Orthodox Jew. Not so, Lord. Do you know who he's telling, he's saying no to? Now this is just again for us, we better be very careful who we say no to. Very careful. Lord, I've never done that before not so Lord if we continue on verse number 16 this was done thrice and the vessel was received up again unto heaven now while Peter doubted notice that word if you have your Bible open and you're looking at it you might want to circle the word doubted because it's going to come back again and he doubted um This was done thrice a vessel. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. They're standing right out in the front lawn. Verse number 19, while Peter thought on the vision, the spirit said unto him, behold, three men seek thee, arise therefore, get thee down, go with them. Here's the second doubt that you should underline or those two words, doubting nothing. Hey, get those doubts out of your mind, Peter. I know this is part of your history. I know this is part of your upbringing. I know this is something, listen, Peter, I know this is something you've never done before. But stop doubting what what I, almighty God, am telling you to do. Okay, Lord. Now he's about to go with this, this ambassage of Gentiles. And he's going to go to a Gentile's home. We don't have time to look through the, the, the unpacking of these, all of these events. But, but he starts to preach the gospel. And this Gentile household is saved. And, and Peter starts to stand back in amazement. And he's, he's scratching his head and he's just looking with bewilderment. Like, did, did God just do what I think he did? Did God just open the door of the gospel to the Gentile world? And that's exactly what he did. And do you know what would have happened had the apostle Peter allowed his past to be the determining factor for his present? Well, what would have happened is Peter would have missed out on that blessing, but God would certainly have had his will and way done. This is is pretty significant for people like us, and especially for a a house that is filled with people who say, well, I, I have a lot of historic You know things regarding my faith. There are some of those historic things about your faith that can never change. They are those things that are true for all people, all places, and all times. Some of those things may well be preferential things. We'll touch on that again in just a moment. Peter's past was strongly influencing his present. We must recognize that this is often true of ourselves. Sometimes it's for our good. Often it is not. We must evaluate our practice based on something more foundational than simply our past. Use your past, but then start to evaluate. Okay, is this one of those things that I hold to because it's become a preference? It's become like part of what I like? God made room for that so long as it wasn't forcefully imposed upon others for the sake of their godliness. What does this look like? What is authentic Christianity look like? Well, it's a realization you can't please everyone. It's not blaming your present on your past. Number three, it's recognizing that your personal practice doesn't equal a public priority. It's realizing that your personal practice doesn't equal a public priority. Okay, there were some Jews that wanted to keep the feasts. Okay, there were some Jews that could not, um, they couldn't not keep the feast. Uh, Jews that, ke- of course, they would keep the Passover, right? This is one of the feasts. A feast of tabernacles. There, there, were, there were Jews that said, well, we, ha- we want to keep the, 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 the practices. We want to keep the ordinances. Now, let me ask you this. Were the Jews forbidden from keeping the old ways? Yes or no? Were they forbidden from keeping the old ways? And the answer is no, they were not forbidden. In fact, it's quite interesting. They, they actually had this, this early Jerusalem council because they're like, okay, we're we having a clash between the Jews and the Gentiles. And you know, they came up with like some really wonderful, I hate to use the word compromises, but some, some good conclusions. Like okay, hey, let's all get together because we're going to be Jews and Gentiles worshiping together. So let's all let's settle on some things that are the non-negotiables. Let's even give some room for like okay, let's let's honor some people that have a long-standing historic connection to some of the the, the practices, but but let's understand that wow, these things are things that I can't force on everyone. It's recognizing your personal practice doesn't equal a public priority. In Acts chapter 21, Paul's describing the fact that he's gone to the temple. And do you know what he starts to do? This is, the, this is the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul's back in Jerusalem, Acts 21. Again, time prevents us from going through the whole story. But Paul goes back and, and he guess what he starts to do? He goes through the ceremonial cleansings. He's starting to honor some of the ways. In fact, some of the the Jews there had made vows and Paul actually goes, walks through with them with some of these vows that they had made. Are these necessary aspects of their faith? Actually, no. But what they had done is they said, listen, these have been such a part of our history. We, We wanna continue to do that with the recognition that these things do not improve my standing with God sometimes our struggle is thinking that some of the, the the preferences traditions this improves our standing with God you you know if you're if you've been a campus church for any amount of time you know we're a, a traditional conservative really historic I'm saying those things that are should be fairly obvious I'm also saying that, is this the only way? Don't don't be silly about this and be mature about it. But is it the only way? We have Bible study groups, formerly known as Sunday school. Did they have Sunday school at the church in Jerusalem? No, but they did meet a lot longer than we do. Uh, Did they have a midweek service, which we're at right now? Some of you say, no, sir. No, they, I don't know. The Bible says that they they went daily house to house. The the point I'm trying to make is we are who we are, a campus church. Are we the only way? Uh, Right now, we have a really full service schedule, which I'm going to tell you, I love that. I grew up with it. Part of my history? Do you know what my tendency could really easily be? Oh, so they don't have Sunday school. Hmm. That used to be such a ministry, right? So, so now, what am I doing? Listen, we have no plan to not have Sunday school. I'm saying that because I'm trying to be clear. Oh, what's he, what's he trying to get to? I'm not trying to get to anything. Okay what i am trying to say is oftentimes we superimpose our our preference and we superimpose that on on now everyone has to do it this way for some we we use this all too often so forgive the repetition but for for some you know the the removal of ties like what a blessing you know no more ties on wednesday night that came about from from covid actually one of the blessings of COVID, all right? Because people couldn't breathe, that's <laughs> not why. It came about because of COVID, because honestly, we're all here doing services. We're, we're preaching to a camera and everybody's at home and, and they're just kicked back and they got their big fluffy slippers on, you know, and they're taking pictures of themselves watching us. And, and then we started to think, we started to evaluate, you know, midweek, people are dressing for work. They're dressing for school. They're dressing for everything except for, not, not church. Now, I still come in a, in, a, in a coat and tie on Sunday. You say, well, is that, is that more spiritual? It's my history, part of my tradition. But you know, when, when I preach in, in other places, that that's not part of their history or tradition, I don't wanna stand out as as someone who's trying to enforce something. Is there something appropriate about modesty, distinction? Sure, that's a whole nother discussion. What we're trying to say is, what is is spiritual authenticity? It's recognizing that your personal practice doesn't equate, doesn't equal a public priority, that my personal practice with this, now everybody has to do this. Listen, you don't get any You don't get any freedom on, well, you know, my personal practice with marriage is, there's no room for that. Your personal practice for marriage should be defined by how God defines marriage. Your personal practice for identity, well, let me tell you how I identify. God's already identified you. I'm not being silly and I'm not trying to be trite or flippant about it. Those are non-negotiables well, you know, what's lying to you is not lying. No, 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 he says, thou shalt not bear false witness. Uh, Well, you know, I don't really see such a big deal with, um, you know, with morality. I don't see morality the same way. No, no, the Bible talks about the marriage bed that's undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. These are non-negotiables. So what we have to do is we have to start thinking, what does authentic Christianity look like it's recognizing our personal practice is not a public priority. L- let, me, um, let me close with that and I'll tell you what we'll do. Next Wednesday night, we'll, we'll pick it up from here and continue addressing the matter of what is authentic Christianity?